0: Section 31 of Self Help. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cat Din in Osaka, Japan. Self Help with Illustrations of Conduct and Perseverance by Samuel Smiles. Section 31, Chapter 11 Self Culture Facilities and Difficulties, Part 4. We have been informed of an equally striking instance of perseverance in application and application in learning on the part of a French political exile in London. His original occupation was that of a stone mason, at which he found employment for some time, but work becoming slack, he lost his place, and poverty stared him in the face. In his dilemma, he called upon a fellow exile profitably engaged in teaching French, and consulted him what he ought to do to earn a living. The answer was, Become a professor. ''A professor,'' answered the mason. ''I, who am only a workman, speaking, but a patois, surely you are jesting?'' ''On the contrary, I am quite serious,'' said the other. ''And again I advise you, become a professor. Place yourself under me, and I will undertake to teach you how to teach others.'' ''No, no,'' replied the mason. ''It is impossible. I am too old to learn. I am too little of a scholar. I cannot be a professor.'' he went away and again he tried to obtain employment at his trade from london he went into the provinces and travelled several hundred miles in vain he could not find a master returning to london he went direct to his former adviser and said i have tried everywhere for work and failed i will now try to be a professor he immediately placed himself under instruction in being a man of close application of quick apprehension and vigorous intelligence He speedily mastered the elements of grammar the rules of construction and composition and what he had still in great measure to learn the correct pronunciation of classical french when his friend and instructor thought him sufficiently competent to undertake the teaching of others an appointment advertised as vacant was applied for and obtained and behold our artisan at length become professor it so happened that the seminary to which he was appointed was situated in a suburb of london where he had formerly worked as a stonemason and every morning the first thing which met his eyes on looking out of his dressing-room window was a stack of cottage chimneys which he had himself built he feared for a time lest he should be recognized in the village as the quondam workman and thus bring discredit on a seminary which was of high standing but he need have been under no such apprehension as he proved a most efficient teacher and his pupils were on more than one occasion publicly complimented for their knowledge of french meanwhile he secured the respect and friendship of all he knew him fellow professors as well as pupils and when the story of his struggles his difficulties and his past history became known to them they admired him more than ever sir samuel romilly was not less indefatigable as a self-cultivator the son of a jeweller descended from a french refugee he received little education in his early years But overcame all his disadvantages by unwearied application and by efforts constantly directed towards the same end i determined he says in his autobiography when i was between fifteen and sixteen years of age to apply myself seriously to learning latin of which i at the time knew little more than some of the most familiar rules of grammar in the course of three or four years during which i thus applied myself i had read almost every prose writer of the age of pure latinity except those who have treated merely of technical subjects, such as Varro, Columella, and Celsus. I had gone three times through the whole of Livy, Sallust, and Tacitus. I had studied the most celebrated orations of Cicero, and translated a great deal of Homer. Terence, Virgil, Horace, Ovid, and Juvenal I had read over and over again. He also studied geography, natural history, and natural philosophy, and obtained a considerable acquaintance with general knowledge, at sixteen he was articled to a clerk in chancery worked hard was admitted to the bar and his industry and perseverance ensured success he became solicitor general under the fox administration in eighteen o six and steadily worked his way to the highest celebrity in his profession yet he was always haunted by a painful and almost oppressive sense of his own disqualifications and never ceased labouring to remedy them his autobiography is a lesson of instructive facts worth volumes of sentiment and well deserves a careful perusal sir walter scott was accustomed to cite the case of his young friend john Leyden as one of the most remarkable illustrations of the power of perseverance which he had ever known the son of a shepherd in one of the wildest valleys of Roxburgshire, he was almost entirely self-educated like many scotch shepherd's sons like hogg who taught himself to write by copying the letters of a printed book as he lay watching his flock on the hillside like cannes who, from tending sheep on the Lammermoors, raised himself by dint of application and in industry to the professor's chair which he now so worthily holds. Like Murray, Ferguson, and many more, Leyden was early inspired by a thirst for knowledge. When a poor barefooted boy, he walked six or eight miles across the moors daily to learn reading at the little village schoolhouse of Kirkton. And this was all the education he received, the rest he acquired for himself. He found his way to Edinburgh to attend the college there setting the extremest penury at defiance he was first discovered as a frequenter of a small bookseller's shop kept by archibald constable afterwards so well known as the publisher he would pass hour after hour perched on a ladder in mid-air with some great folio in his hand forgetful of the scanty meal of bread and water which awaited him at his miserable lodging access to books and lectures comprised all within the bounds of his wishes Thus. "'He toiled and battled at the gates of science "'until his unconquerable perseverance carried everything before it. "'Before he had attained his nineteenth year "'he had astonished all the professors in Edinburgh "'by his profound knowledge of Greek and Latin "'and the general mass of information he had acquired. "'Having turned his views to India, "'he sought employment in the civil service but failed. "'He was, however, informed "'that a surgeon's assistant's commission was open to him. "'But he was no surgeon "'and knew no more of the profession than a child.' He could, however, learn. Then he was told he must be ready to pass in six months. Nothing daunted, he set to work, to acquire in six months what usually required three years. At the end of six months, he took his degree with honor. Scott and a few friends helped to fit him out, and he sailed for India after publishing his beautiful poem, The Scenes of Infancy. In India, he promised to become one of the greatest of Oriental scholars, but was unhappily cut off by fever caught by exposure and died at an early age the life of the late dr lee professor of hebrew at cambridge furnishes one of the most remarkable instances in modern times of the power of patient perseverance and resolute purpose in working out an honorable career in literature he received his education at a charity school at lognor near shrewsbury but so little distinguished himself there that his master pronounced him one of the dullest boys that ever passed through his hands He was put apprentice to a carpenter and worked at that trade until he arrived at manhood to occupy his leisure hours he took to reading and some of the books containing latin quotations he became desirous of ascertaining what they meant he bought a latin grammar and proceeded to learn latin as stone the duke of argyle's gardener said long before does one need to know anything more than the twenty-four letters in order to learn everything else that one wishes lee rose early and sat up late and he succeeded in mastering the Latin before his apprenticeship was out. Whilst working one day in some place of worship, a copy of a Greek testament fell in his way, and he was immediately filled with a desire to learn that language. He accordingly sold some of his Latin books and purchased a Greek grammar and lexicon. Taking pleasure in learning, he soon mastered the language. Then he sold his Greek books and bought Hebrew ones and learnt that language, unassisted by any instructor, without any hope of fame or reward but simply following the bent of his genius. He next proceeded to learn the Chaldee, Syriac, and Samaritan dialects. But his studies began to tell upon his health, and brought on disease in his eyes through his long night-watchings with his books. Having laid them aside for a time and recovered his health, he went on with his daily work. His character as a tradesman being excellent, his business improved, and his means enabled him to marry, which he did when twenty-eight years old. He determined now to devote himself to the maintenance of his family and to renounce the luxury of literature accordingly he sold all his books he might have continued a working carpenter all his life had not the chest of tools upon which he depended for subsistence been destroyed by fire and destitution stared him in the face he was too poor to buy new tools so he bethought him of teaching children their letters a profession requiring the least possible capital but though he had mastered many languages He was so defective in the common branches of knowledge that at first he could not teach them resolute of purpose however he assiduously set to work and taught himself arithmetic and writing to such a degree as to be able to impart the knowledge of these branches to little children his unaffected simple and beautiful character gradually attracted friends and the acquirements of the learned carpenter became brooded abroad dr scott a neighboring clergyman obtained for him the appointment of master of a charity school in shrewsbury and introduced him to a distinguished oriental scholar these friends supplied him with books and lee successively mastered arabic persic and hindustani he continued to pursue his studies while on duty as a private in the local militia of the county gradually acquiring greater proficiency in languages at length his kind patron dr scott enabled lee to enter queen's college cambridge and after a course of study in which he distinguished himself by his mathematical acquirements a vacancy occurring in the professorship of arabic and hebrew he was worthily elected to fill the honourable office besides ably performing his duties as a professor he voluntarily gave much of his time to the instruction of missionaries going forth to preach the gospel to eastern tribes in their own tongue he also made translations of the bible into several asiatic dialects and having mastered the new zealand language he arranged a grammar and vocabulary for two new zealand chiefs who were then in england which books are now in daily use in the new zealand schools such in brief is the remarkable history of dr samuel lee and it is but the counterpart of numerous similarly instructive examples of the power of perseverance in self-culture as displayed in the lives of many of the most distinguished of our literary and scientific men there are many other illustrious names which might be cited to prove the truth of the common saying that it is never too late to learn. Even at advanced years men can do much, if they will determine on making a beginning. Sir Henry Spellman did not begin the study of science until he was between fifty and sixty years of age. Franklin was fifty before he fully entered upon the study of natural philosophy. Dryden and Scott were not known as authors until each was in his fortieth year. Boccaccio was thirty-five when he commenced his literary career, alfieri was forty-six when he began the study of greek dr arnold learnt german at an advanced age for the purpose of reading niebuhr in the original and in like manner james watt when about forty while working at his trade of an instrument maker in glasgow learned french german and italian to enable himself to peruse the valuable works on mechanical philosophy which existed in those languages thomas scott was fifty-six before he began to learn hebrew Robert Hall was once found lying upon the floor, racked by pain, learning Italian in his old age, to enable him to judge of the parallel drawn by Macaulay between Milton and Dante. Handel was forty-eight before he published any of his great works. Indeed, hundreds of instances might be given of men who struck out an entirely new path, and successfully entered on new studies, at a comparatively advanced time of life. None but the frivolous or the indolent will say, I am too old to learn." and here we would repeat what we have said before that it is not men of genius who move the world and take the lead in it so much as men of steadfastness purpose and indefatigable industry notwithstanding the many undeniable instances of the precocity of men of genius it is nevertheless true that early cleverness gives no indication of the height to which the grown man will reach precocity is sometimes a symptom of disease rather than of intellectual vigor what becomes of all the remarkably clever children where are the dukeses and prize-boys? Trace them through life, and it will frequently be found that the dull boys, who are beaten at school, have shot ahead of them. The clever boys are rewarded, but the prizes which they gain by their greater quickness and facility do not always prove of use to them. What ought rather to be rewarded is the endeavor, the struggle, and the obedience. For it is the youth who does his best, though endowed with an inferiority of natural powers, that ought above all others to be encouraged." An interesting chapter might be written on the subject of illustrious dunces, dull boys but brilliant men. We have room, however, for only a few instances. Pietro de Cortona, the painter, was thought so stupid that he was nicknamed Ass's Head when a boy, and Tommaso Guidi was generally known as Heavy Tom, Masaccio Tommasaccio, though by diligence he afterwards raised himself to the highest eminence. Newton, when at school, stood at the bottom of the lowest form but one. The boy above Newton having kicked him, the dunce showed his pluck by challenging him to a fight, and beat him. Then he set to work with a will, and determined also to vanquish his antagonist as a scholar, which he did, rising to the top of his class. Many of our greatest divines have been anything but precocious. Isaac Barrow, when a boy at the charterhouse school, was notorious chiefly for his strong temper, pugnacious habits, and proverbial idleness as a scholar and he caused such grief to his parents that his father used to say that if it pleased god to take from him any of his children he hoped it might be isaac the least promising of them all adam clark when a boy was proclaimed by his father to be a grievous dunce though he could roll large stones about dean swift was plucked at dublin university and only obtained his recommendation to oxford speciali gratia the well-known dr chalmers and dr cook were boys together at the parish school of st andrews and they were found so stupid and mischievous that the master irritated beyond measure dismissed them both as incorrigible dunces the brilliant sheridan showed so little capacity as a boy that he was presented to a tutor by his mother with the complimentary accompaniment that he was an incorrigible dunce walter scott was all but a dunce when a boy always much readier for a bicker than apt at his lessons at the edinburgh university professor dalzell pronounced upon him the sentence that dunce he was and dunce he would remain chatterton was returned on his mother's hands as a fool of whom nothing could be made burns was a dull boy good only at athletic exercises goldsmith spoke of himself as a plant that flowered late alfieri left college no wiser than he entered it and did not begin the studies by which he distinguished himself until he had run half over europe Robert Clive was a dunce, if not a reprobate, when a youth, but always full of energy, even in badness. His family, glad to get rid of him, shipped him off to Madras, and he lived to lay the foundations of the British power in India. Napoleon and Wellington were both dull boys, not distinguishing themselves in any way at school. Of the former, the Duchess de Brontes says, he had good health, but was in other respects like other boys. Ulysses Grant, the commander-in-chief of the United States, was called useless grant by his mother he was so dull and unhandy when a boy in stonewall jackson lee's greatest lieutenant was in his youth chiefly noted for his slowness while a pupil at west point military academy he was however equally remarkable for his indefatigable application and perseverance when a task was set him he never left it until he had mastered it nor did he ever feign to possess knowledge which he had not entirely acquired again and again wrote one who knew him, when called upon to answer questions in the recitation of the day he would reply, I have not yet looked at it. I have been engaged in mastering the recitation of yesterday or the day before. The result was that he graduated seventeenth in a class of seventy. There was probably in the whole class not a boy to whom Jackson at the outset was not inferior in knowledge and attainments, but at the end of the race he had only sixteen before him, and had outstripped no fewer than fifty-three. It used to be said of him by his contemporaries that if the course had been for ten years instead of four, Jackson would have graduated at the head of his class. John Howard, the philanthropist, was another illustrious dunce, learning next to nothing during the seven years that he was at school. Stevenson, as a youth, was distinguished chiefly for his skill at putting and wrestling, and attention to his work. The brilliant Sir Humphrey Davy was no cleverer than other boys. His teacher, Dr. Cardew, once said of him, While he was with me, I could not discern the faculties by which he was so much distinguished. Indeed, Davy himself in afterlife considered it fortunate that he had been left to enjoy so much idleness at school. Watt was a dull scholar, notwithstanding the stories told about his precocity, but he was, what was better, patient and perseverant, and it was by such qualities and by his carefully cultivated inventiveness that he was enabled to perfect his steam-engine." what dr arnold said of boys is equally true of men that the difference between one boy and another consists not so much in talent as in energy given perseverance and energy soon becomes habitual provided the dunce has persistency and application he will inevitably head the cleverer fellow without those qualities slow but sure wins the race it is perseverance that explains how the position of boys at school is so often reversed in real life and it is curious to note how some of who were then so clever have since become so commonplace whilst others dull boys of whom nothing was expected slow in their faculties but sure in their pace have assumed the position of leaders of men the author of this book when a boy stood in the same class with one of the greatest of dunces one teacher after another had tried his skill upon him and failed corporal punishment the fool's cap coaxing and earnest entreaty proved alike fruitless Sometimes the experiment was tried of putting him at the top of his class, and it was curious to note the rapidity with which he gravitated to the inevitable bottom. The youth was given up by his teachers as an incorrigible dunce, one of them pronouncing him to be a stupendous booby. Yet, slow though he was, this dunce had a sort of dull energy of purpose in him, which grew with his muscles and his manhood. And, strange to say, when he at length came to take part in the practical business of life, he was found heading most of his school companions and eventually left the greater number of them far behind the last time the author heard of him he was chief magistrate of his native town the tortoise in the right road will beat a racer in the wrong it matters not though a youth be slow if he be but diligent quickness of parts may even prove a defect inasmuch as the boy who learns readily will often forget as readily And also because he finds no need of cultivating that quality of application and perseverance which the slower youth is compelled to exercise and which proves so valuable an element in the formation of every character davy said what i am i have made myself and the same holds true universally to conclude the best culture is not obtained from teachers when at school or college so much as by our own diligent self-education when we have become men hence parents need not be in too great haste to see their children's talents forced into bloom let them watch and wait patiently letting good example and quiet training do their work and leave the rest to providence let them see to it that the youth is provided by free exercise of his bodily powers with a full stock of physical health set him fairly on the road of self-culture carefully train his habits of application and perseverance and as he grows older if the right stuff be in him He will be enabled vigorously and effectively to cultivate himself. End of section thirty one Recording by Kat Din in Osaka, Japan